Welcome to the Breath Magazine podcast. Learn more about Breath Magazine and sign up for our newsletter to receive the latest news and updates at our website, breathmagazine.com. And now for today's episode. Good morning. This is Peter Smythe with the Smythe Podcast, podcast number 17. And if I had to give this podcast the title, I would entitle it, It's Not Automatic, But It's By Faith. And what I want to tackle this morning is this idea that healing is just part of God's sovereign will and it's not part of redemption. If you sit down and if you go through the internet with the Christian sites and um, sermons and whatnot, you'll come across this idea, this argument against healing. The argument is, if healing is really part and parcel of redemption, then everyone should be healed the moment that he he or she is born again. And these critics say, since people do become born again, and they're not instantaneously healed at that moment, then healing really can't be part of redemption. It must be just part of God's sovereign will. A corollary argument to that is that if healing was in redemption, part and parcel of redemption, then Christians should never ever be sick because they're born again and they've partaken of redemption. And therefore, um, if healing was in redemption, then sickness is just out of the question. Well, we're going to show by the word that those premises just aren't true. It just doesn't work that way. Nothing in God's kingdom comes automatically, but it does come by faith. And I'm going to demonstrate that through this lesson today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark 9. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the account of Jesus casting the devil out of this young boy, and we're going to pull some truths from that so we can see how redemption really works for us. Now let's go over to verse 14. Let me explain where we are. In Mark 9, Jesus, with Peter, James, and John, goes up to what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's transfigured up on the mount. Well, after that episode, Jesus and the and his disciples come down from the mount. And that's where we come to verse 14. So let's read through the account, and then we'll go back and we'll pick out the pieces where we can um, see what we can pull out when it comes to healing and redemption and this idea that God's promises are automatic because they're not. Okay. Verse 14, and I'm reading out of the NASB. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running to greet him. And he, this is talking of Jesus, asked them, What are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit, which makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth. 
and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. Now let's stop there a minute. Let's take in this picture that we see. Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and what he sees is some of his disciples disputing with some of the Jewish scribes. He sees a crowd around him. When he sees this crowd, um, as he's coming down from the mount, some people of the crowd see him and start to walk over to him. And he asks these people, what are you all discussing? Just a, a pretty ordinary question. What are you all talking about? Well, one of the crowd pipes up, and it's a man. Apparently, he is the father of a boy, and he says, Well, Jesus, I came to you because my son is possessed of a devil. He describes what the devil does with his son. And what is significant is he says, I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. Well, then you see why there is a scrabble in the crowd, so to speak, because you have some scribes disputing with the disciples. And if you go back in Old Testament history, you'll see that there is some Jewish tradition about the casting out of demons, and I'm sure that's what these scribes were discussing with the disciples. But the bottom line was that the disciples attempted to cast the devil out of this boy, and the father recognizes, hey, they couldn't do it. Now that brings up a lot of things to mind. First off, Jesus' disciples must have had some kind of knowledge that they could cast out devils. I mean, they must have done it in the past because they're trying to do it with this boy here. Secondly, this father went to the disciples and told them to cast the devil out of his son. Now that brings up uh, a real interesting fact, and that is that the disciples must have had some kind of reputation of casting out devils. You know, uh, you wouldn't take your son who's possessed of a devil down to Safeway, take him up to the cashier and say, hey, cast the devil out of my boy. And you wouldn't do that because you wouldn't have any confidence that the cashier would know anything that you're talking about. This father knew of the disciples' reputation for casting out devils, and that's why he brought the boy to them. Now, here's another thing. He must have observed the disciples doing something to cast the devils out. The disciples must have done must have done some commands, must have done some kind of exorcism conduct, so to speak, for the father father to say to Jesus, well they tried, but they just couldn't do it. Now that's where the rubber meets the road. You have disciples who have gone through all the uh, looks of casting out the devil, but they just could not do it. They couldn't effectuate the spiritual fruit. Now, stay, uh, keep your finger in Mark, on Mark 9, because we're going to come back to it. But go back to Mark 3. 
And I want to show you something about these disciples. In Mark 3, let's, um, let's start with verse 13, and we'll go to 15. Verse 13, And he went up on the mountain, this is Jesus, and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, so that they would be with him, and that he could send them out to preach. Now notice this, verse 15, And to have authority to cast out the demons. Right here in Mark 3, which comes well before Mark 9, we see where the disciples got their authority to cast out demons. They got that authority from Jesus himself. He takes them up on the mountain and basically deputizes them to cast out devils. Now, from Mark 3, go over to Mark 6. And let's read, let's read here. Uh, go to Mark 6, 7. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now skip down to verse 12. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Now Mark 6 comes before Mark 9. We see in two instances where Jesus gave authority for the disciples to cast out devils. And in fact, here in Mark 6, they actually cast out the devils. He gave them authority to do so, and they went about doing it. So they had the command. They had the command to cast out devils. They had the authority to do so. But here over in Mark 9, they couldn't do it. It was ineffectual. What they had been doing before, they couldn't do anymore. Now, there's no evidence at all, and we're going to see this through the rest of the account, but right now there's no evidence at all that Jesus withdrew this command of authority. There's no evidence at all that they, they had a time limit on their ability to cast out devils. Jesus gave the command, and then they went out casting devils, and then they ran into one that they could not cast out. Now, you can do this on your own time, but if you go over to Matthew 10, well, actually, just go over to Matthew 10. This, this won't take that long. In Matthew 10, we see the same thing. Uh, in verse 1, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, you can go through your Bible, and you can see that here in Matthew 10, Matthew 10 uh, comes well before Matthew 17. And in Matthew 17, Matthew writes about the same account that we're reading in Mark 9. So we see also Matthew records the fact that Jesus gave 
the disciples' authority to cast out devils. In fact, in Matthew 10, it's a little bit more explicit that he, they had authority to heal every kind of sickness and every kind of disease. But we go to Mark 9, we see that they couldn't do it. They hit a wall. Now, let's go back to Mark 9, and let's see why that is. Let's see why this casting out of demons, even though they had the command, they had, they had been deputized, Jesus had given the command to them and had not withdrawn it, they could not effectuate it. Let's see why it was not automatic. Now, in verse, well, let's just go 17. One of the crowd, this is the, the, the father, the dad, answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he, this is Jesus, answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I put up with you? How, how long shall I be with you? Bring him to me. Now, get a load of the scene here. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. The Father comes and says, Hey, I brought, I brought your disciples to your disciples. My boy who has a demon, and I told them to cast it out, and they couldn't do it. Well, Jesus doesn't respond and say, well, hey, you know, uh, the Father has commissioned us to cast demons out of these folks, but there are some folks that we're just not supposed to cast demons out of. They just have to bear that burden. He didn't say that to the Father. He didn't say, well, um, you know, back in Matthew 10 or Mark 3 or Mark 6, I gave these disciples the authority to cast out devils, but I withdrew that instruction. And therefore, even though they tried to do it, they were doing it without my instruction. And therefore, you know, bless their hearts. Uh, though they try, they just can't do it because uh, I withdrew my word withdrew my instruction. He didn't say anything like that at all. What you see Jesus do is he becomes livid. He's angry. And he says, oh, unbelieving generation. In Matthew, he says, perverse generation. And he's speaking out loud. And he says, how long do I have to put up with you? How long do I have to be with you? He's angry at this impotence shown by his disciples that this boy has a demon and they cannot effectuate the exorcism. He's angry. So, let's read on. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. Falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he, Jesus, asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, 
It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So the father brings the boy, and once the boy is in Jesus' presence, the demon manifests himself in the boy, and the boy starts having a fit. Now, this is something that to me is so cool about Jesus and his personality, I don't want you to miss it. If you're reading from the King James, I encourage you to pick up your NASB because it's more accurate when it comes to the Greek transcripts. Jesus asked, how long has this been happening to him? And the Father says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I mean, the Father is exasperated. He just wants a son delivered. Now, Jesus is not chewing out the Father when he says, how long do I have to put up with you? He's chewing out the disciples about that. But, the Father says, if you can, do something, and Jesus answers him, he repeats his words. And he says, if you can, if you can, he's challenging the Father's words. Father says, if you can, and Jesus is almost incredulous. He's like, if you can, and he says, all things are possible to the guy that believes. All things are possible to the guy that believes. You read on, and, and it says immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Well, a lot's been made in theological circles about uh, the father's statement. But understand the scene. This father's saying anything he can because he just wants his boy delivered. He hasn't changed in faith. He hasn't changed at all. He came to the disciples and they were impotent. He sees Jesus come down from the mountain and he runs to Jesus and explains the situation. He has not grown in faith. The, the focal point of this account is not the father's faith. It is the disciples' faith, or lack of faith. So he says, I do believe, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. Now, so, so what we see here is that Jesus steps into the shoes of the disciples. He comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples cannot cast the devil out of the boy. So the father goes to Jesus. Jesus casts the devil out of the boy. He steps into the disciples' shoes. Now, after this account, the next verse says, When he came into the house, and this is speaking of Jesus, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? Now, I want to I hang on this question a little bit because 
So many times in the church, we don't get to that question. Why could we not drive it out? Why could we not effectuate this spiritual result? Why could we not do what you commanded us to do? Why could we not do... Why did we not receive healing? Why did we not do this or that? The church rarely asks that question. We rarely ask that question of ourselves. Instead, what we do is we rationalize. We don't get the desired results. And so we say, well, uh, we throw it back over onto God. Well, God must not have wanted it. Or it's God's sovereign will because I prayed and something didn't happen. These guys weren't theologically trained. All they knew is what Jesus commanded and instructed of them, and they went out and they did it. Now, they ask him, how come we couldn't cast this devil out? These are disciples that had cast out devils in the past. So they talk to Jesus privately and they say, how come we couldn't do it? They asked honest questions and they didn't rationalize. They didn't go off to themselves and say, well, uh, it must have been that God the Father wanted Jesus for some reason to cast this devil out instead of us. Because that's the way that the modern church usually does. That's the answer that the modern church usually gives. Well, we don't know what God is thinking, and, uh, you know, who knows what God is thinking? But Jesus answered them very directly. He says, he's recorded here in Mark, saying, And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Now, I want you to keep your thumb there and go over to Matthew because like I said, Matthew records um, his own version of this account. Go over to Matthew 17.20. Because I want you to see how direct Jesus is. And I want you to see what he means by this kind only comes out by prayer. Matthew 17.20. Well, 17.19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Same thing as Mark. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the puniness of your faith. Now that's a, that's a Smythism there. The NASB says the littleness of your faith. But it's one and the same. Jesus did not answer them and say, Well, it was God's sovereign will that I cast out this demon. He did not say to them, well, it was God's sovereign will that um, this boy keep the demon. And if you notice, this casting out was not automatic. Even though they had the instruction by Jesus to cast out devils, they couldn't do it. There was an, an ingredient missing. It was not automatic. Jesus pinpoints the ingredient, says, because of the puniness of your faith. He's still angry with them. You can see that it's a pretty direct response. You go back to Mark and says, this kind only comes out by prayer. Well, you go 
over to Mark 11.23 and you see that, that God's idea of prayer a lot of times is speaking forth the end result or speaking forth in faith. That's why Mark writes it the way that he does. Because the command of faith is a form of prayer. Here, we see with Matthew, he's a little bit more detailed. And he said, because of the puniness of your faith. Now put yourself in the disciples' shoes and see how direct Jesus is. You come to Jesus, you're, you've been arguing with the scribes, you've been trying to cast out the devil out of this kid, and the devil just manifests himself and he's still in the kid. Jesus comes and upstages you and casts the devil out. And he, you hear him say, how long do I have to put up with you? And then after the whole scene's done, you come to him and say, how come we couldn't cast him out? But Jesus looks you square in the eyes and says, because of the puniness of your faith. For I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Well, you can cross-reference that with Mark 11, 23, 24. Same exact thing. But you see, this casting out of demons was not automatic. And it did not lie with God. The problem was square on the shoulders of the disciples. Jesus says, because of the puniness of your faith. Now, let's go back to the original premise. And that is, if healing is in redemption, then a man should be healed the moment that he is born again. It's automatic. Well, you can see from this account that that premise is flawed. It's flawed because it always takes faith. There is nothing automatic, even if there is a command of Jesus Christ to you. For you to cast out demons. Well, it's not automatic that you just go cast out demons willy-nilly. You have to exercise faith. And so it is when it comes to healing and redemption. It's not automatic. You also have to exercise faith. So, like, the, like what we saw in Mark 3, where Jesus commanded that they could cast out demons, the same is true with Isaiah that says, He bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. We have a truth we have an instruction. We have a doctrine. question is, what do we do with that? Not what does God do with that. It's what we do with that. And we've gotten here in the American church where instead of asking the Lord, why, can't, why isn't this working? Why couldn't we do this? And seeking an answer, we throw it back on God himself and say, well, you must not have wanted this to happen. And we do that a lot with sickness. We do that a lot with a lot with our spiritual life. Well, we asked you for healing and, you know, it didn't work. So God must not have wanted it. Well, you take a look at these disciples. They tried to cast out the demon. 
that means that they must have commanded the demon to leave and the demon stayed. Well, they didn't throw up their hands and chalk it up to God and say, well, you must want the demon in this boy. They knew something was wrong and they knew that it had something to do with them. And they were bold enough to come to Jesus and say, how come we couldn't do it? How come we couldn't do what you did? How come we couldn't do what you did and you told us that we could do it? Not theologically trained, but they knew that the kingdom of God is all about results. And they weren't getting any. So, the next time you read about somebody saying, well, uh, we don't believe or we don't preach that healing is in redemption because Christians get sick, because when they're born again, they're not instantaneously healed, you can go over to Mark 9 and you can reread the account and see that it's still all by faith. Nothing is automatic. That's a flawed premise. And it's a flawed premise that keeps people from receiving their redemptive rights. That is all the time that I have today for this podcast, but hopefully I will uh, have the time to do these about once a week. But until next time, this is Peter Smythe, and thanks for listening. Bye-bye.